All right, so we'll say good morning. Let us begin. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's share. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Shvat. Mrs. Bracha Strimber for dedicating all the Sherman Joshos this month in memory of her husband, Avi Strimber, Avram ben Kalman Eliezer Halevi. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nisham will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. We thank Avi Tobias for his Talmud Torah sponsorship as well for the month of Shvat. Again, in the schus of the Shir, and in appreciation to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beautiful Torah. We thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Jacob and Ellie Cates, in commemoration of the yard site of Jacob's grandfather, Yisachar Dov Ben Meir, on Yudzayin Shvat. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and a family, a Nechama. And with that, let us, let us begin. Oh, it looks like we're frozen over here, or maybe not. Okay. Okay, well, so with that, let us begin. So today's daf is daf Zayin. We are picking up on Vav Amad Beis. We actually have a lot to do today. We kind of left off in the middle of Vav Amad Beis of 6b. And we left off with Amar Abin. We actually read this, but let's just pick up here again. This will go quickly. So we'll say, so remember, I get about 26 lines up from the bottom. So Amar Abin. So Abin says as follows. Shema Mino, Hai Tarbitza, Charlotte, Tarbutze, Bechala, Demoada. So we'll remember again, we left off with this. Tarbitza, Rashi says, is a Gino is a garden. So what you see from, so what we see again from the, what the Gemara stated regarding the Sadeh grid. So we'll say the Sadeh grid is a field that is naturally dry, but yet that one that one is permitted to go ahead and water on Chalamayr. So the Gemara says, Ravina said, you see from here that this Tarbitza, this garden patch, you can sprinkle water on it, right? You can sprinkle water on it on Chalamayr. So the Gemara says, now where do you see that from? So why is it that you're permitted to go ahead and water a Sadegrid? The Gemara says, because what you do is you take crops that would normally go ahead and sprout later, and because now you're watering it, ultimately they'll sprout earlier. Halchinam, you saw two in the garden patch. Afla mashvila charfa. You take again things that are once again sprout later and cause them to sprout earlier. So we'll say, in other words, with the Gemara is developing over here something very interesting. That up until now we've been focusing on the idea of, of loss, right? Of Hefsid Meruba. Now the Gemara also introduces us to the idea that if there's the possibility to potentially accelerate growth and the possibility to go ahead and cause things which would sprout later to sprout earlier, that may be mutter as well. Is to sprinkle water. Sprinkling water is not a full fledged watering, but it's really just to moisten the soil and moisten the crops. So one is permitted to go ahead and moisten a sadalov on a grain field on Shemitah, but not on Chalamaid. But we learned elsewhere that you're permitted to go ahead and or we'll call it sprinkle the field both on Chalamaid as well as on Shemitah. I'm going to put a it's not a contradiction. We'll say two different opinions. Two different opinions. So the Gemara says, you're permitted to go ahead and sprinkle a grain field on Erev Shvius in order that things grow there, right? In order that the vegetables will easily come out on Shvius. So we'll say, what this is talking about over here is you're permitted to go ahead and water a field in year number six in order that year six produce will easily emerge from the soil on year seven. Furthermore, you can go ahead and sprinkle the field on the Shemitah year in order that the produce easily emerges on year number eight. So I want to point out, this is incredibly important, which is that Halacha Lamaisa, remember, during a Shemitah year, and this is very Lamaisa now, during a Shemitah year, it's not the pshat that everything that grows from the earth is going to, be, is going to have Shemitah sanctity. Remember, if you have year six produce, that is emerging on year number seven, that produce is not governed by Shemitah strictures, right? That produce ultimately is called year six produce. And again, so therefore the Gemara saying over here is, on year number six, you can do certain things to the field, which will allow you to extract year number six produce more easily on year number seven. So to on year number seven, the Shemitah year, you're allowed to do things which may facilitate the growth of year eight produce. Beautiful, that's the end of the sugya. Mishnah. 
What's an interesting case here? You could trap an ishos. We're going to see what an ishos is. It's some type of animal. You're allowed to trap an ishos and mice. From the sedea ilan, so sedea ilan, remember again, means like an orchard. An orchard, literally a sada in which trees grow. So you could trap these animals, which undermine the growth. In a sada ilan, and sada halavan is a, a grain field or a wheat field. And you could trap these animals in a normal fashion, both on chalamayid as well as during shemitah. Good. You could trap the animals in a normal way in a sedea ilan, in an orchard. However, but in a grain field, in a wheat field, you could only trap them in an abnormal fashion. So I'll say, so Bepashtos, what the Chacham says is like this, that apparently these animals do much more damage in a sedea ilan than they do in a sedea lavan. They do much more damage in an orchard than in a grain field. Therefore, again, in the orchard, you could trap them in the normal fashion, but in the grain field, you have to go ahead and employ a shinui. If you have a fence that's become breached, you could seal the breach on chalamaid. And during the Shemitah year, you could even go ahead and build a wall in a normal fashion. Again, we'll define exactly what all of these particular cases are. Well, Rashi actually says over here, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, we'll say If you have a wall that became partially breached, you can go ahead and repair the breach. Again, we'll discuss how, we'll discuss what. On Shemitah, Rashi says over here, you could even build a brand new wall. Then I will say, now the Chiddush of that we're going to see is on Shemitah, your produce, your field is hefker, and therefore it has part of it being hefker is it has to be accessible to all. So you might have thought that the building of a wall would be usher because it looks like you're safeguarding your produce for your own personal use. Kamash below, no, you're permitted to build the wall. Again, we'll discuss the parameters of that building. Says the Gemara, my ishos. Both say, what's an ishos? What's an ishos? Right? Remember, here's what we know from the Mishnah. The ishos is a type of animal that does apparently extensive damage, both in an orchard as well as in a grain field. So what exactly is an ishos? It is an animal that does not have eyes. Does not have eyes. But say it's interesting, if you look up, right, remember I got a little blast from the past over here, right? If you look up in the Jastro Dictionary, Right, which I will say, before the days of art scroll, right, the Jastro was, uh, the, that was the go-to for anything and everything regarding the Gemara. So it's often interesting because what he does also by many of these words is he gives you etymology. He translates Ishus as a mole, as a mole. So again, now, I don't know, I, I Googled it, a mole, a mole has eyes, I, I, I don't know. But again, I guess because a mole generally operates in the darkness, maybe the Gemara says that it's like, it's, like it doesn't have eyes. Okay, in any event, that, that's, how, that's how he translates it, a mole. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, what's the idea, what's the Pasuk? In other words, meaning what's the Pasuk that highlights that this Ishos is like a blind animal? So it says the Gemara, quotes over here the Pasuk. From Tehillim, Kimo Shablul Temes Yaloch. We'll say Shablul is a snail. Just like the snail, Tamos Yaloch disintegrates as it, as it goes. Rashi points out, that if the snail comes out of its comes out of its shell, so it slowly disintegrates. So nefel nefel eshes balchazu shemesh. The eshes will also die, will fall down as soon as it sees the sun. So David Amelech, David Amelech in Tehillim highlights this idea that the eshes is this is this animal that operates in the darkness, and if it comes out of the darkness, it is overwhelmed by the sun. Good. Supposed to listen to this. So the Brice says as follows. The Brice says that you're permitted to go ahead and trap the Ishus, called the mole, as well as the mice, from a grain field, from an orchard, Kidarko, in the normal fashion. So you could trap them in the normal fashion. You could also destroy ant holes. So when a person has an ant hole in their field, and a person is concerned that the ants 
are undermining the quality, you are eroding the crop. Halach you could destroy the ant holes on Chalamaira on Shemitah. Rabbi Shigal Mehmar says, How do you destroy an ant hole? It's very interesting. Maybe Afar Mechorzeh, Venosan Lechor, Venosan Lechorzeh, Venchokin Zedzeh. But say, How do you destroy an ant hole? So it's very interesting. So you might think the way you destroy an ant hole is just stomp on it. So in fact, apparently that does not work. Instead, how do you do it? You go ahead and you take dirt. You take dirt from another area. Take dirt. Maybe take dirt from another hole. Pour it into pour it into this first hole. And the ants literally means they choke each other. Now, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Ultimately, again, because the ants apparently don't, they, they get used to their soil, and when they sense new soil, they panic, and ultimately, whatever it means, they trample each other, they choke, they suffocate, whatever it might be. But I'll tell you, it's just such a powerful use. So, well, actually, let's finish. So the Gemara says, Now, this only works assuming what? Only if you take dirt from two sides of the river. In other words, that an ant is familiar with the immediately surrounding dirt. So if you take dirt from the other side of the river, and assuming there's no bridge across the two sides of the river, there's no board across the two sides of the river, there's no rope across the two sides of the river. Ad Kaman, how far apart do they have to be? Is Machlokis Rashi told us exactly how to read this line. In other words, Ad Kama, how much distance does there have to be? Rashi says, even with the bridge, Tosa says, without the bridge. Okay, Ad Kama, Ad Parsa. So we'll say the idea being that in order for this strategy to work, it has to be dirt with which the ants, your ants, are totally unfamiliar with. But if the new dirt is in close proximity to the old dirt, then the strategy doesn't work. I will say, listen to the incredible Musar Haskil. How do you go ahead and kill ants? How do you kill ants? Introduce soil, introduce dirt, introduce a reality with which they are unfamiliar with. See what I was saying? The fundamental difference between the ant and the human being is that the ant has the inability to adapt. You see, the ant knows it's dirt. It knows it's dirt, and that's all it knows. Introduce any other dirt, and by definition, by definition, the ant will simply cease to exist. You see, I will say, the godless of a human being, and the greatest koach that HaKadosh Baruch has given to each of us is the ability to adapt, is the ability to pivot. You see, all of us also get used to our own soil. I get used to my own circumstances, I get used to my own realities, and then what happens when life throws me a curveball? What happens when new dirt is introduced? So I will say, very often, we panic, very often we get overwhelmed, we feel like we've reached the end of the line, there's no way for me to go on, and then what happens? I take a deep breath and I say, you know what? I got this. I got this. I can handle this. The way you kill ants, the way you kill ants is just simply introduce a new reality because they have no ability to pivot, no ability to adapt. But the weakness of the ant is the very strength of the Jew. Give me new dirt. Give me new circumstances. Give me new realities. Will I panic? Absolutely. Absolutely. But as soon as I stop panicking and calm myself down, I will realize that I have the clock to pivot. I have the clock to adapt. Such an incredible Musar Haskell. So we'll say the Gemara goes right there. Top of Zayin HaMadalev. Rabbi Yehud Omer, Mistia Ilan Kedarko, Mistia Lovan Shalom Kedarko. So we'll say, so the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, you can go ahead, Rabbi Yehud says that you can go ahead and trap the moles and the mice from a grain field in a normal fashion, and from, sorry, from an orchard in a normal fashion, and from a grain field with a shinui. Shilokidaka means with a shinui, an abnormal fashion. So obviously Rabbi Huda is saying is like this, that the moles and the mice pose a much greater danger, or much greater, danger is the wrong word, much greater loss to the orchard. Then they do the grain field. So in the orchard, you could trap them on chalamayid, even in the normal fashion. But in the, in the grain field, you should go ahead and employ a shinoi. Says the Gemara Kedarko. By the way, it's good to know. How do, you trap, how do you trap moles and mice? This is really more geared towards moles in a normal fashion. It's very interesting. Chofer guma, you dig a hole. Vitola ba mitsuda, and you hang a trap inside of the hole. Apparently, the way to catch a mole 
is you have to create a subterranean trap. So you figure out, you figure out, right, the derech of the mold, you figure out, right, the path the mold is taking, and you put a subterranean trap, that's how, that's how you go ahead and you catch it. So the Gemara says, or, what's Shiloh What's an abnormal way to go ahead and catch a mold? So no, it's sheeput umakebekarus. What's a very interesting you take a, essentially a sheepwood, like a, like a, a sheepwood literally means a spit. You take a spit and a hammer and you hammer it. Otherwise, what you do is you cause a collapse. You see, remember again, moles create subterranean tunnels. So, so it's kind of like what the IDF does with Hamas, right? You just, you gotta trap the moles, right? The, the idea is you just blow, you, in other words, you go and you cause, you cause the tunnels to collapse. And if you cause the tunnels to collapse, ultimately again, you kill the moles inside. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, And again, you just cause the earth to collapse underneath the mole. So says the Gemara, When we said before, so remember, in Rabbi Huda Shita, in Rabbi Huda Shita, he holds that halacha la in an orchard, you could trap the moles and the mice in a normal fashion, and in a grain field, shalokidarko. So it comes on the Gemara, when we said that in the grain field, you could trap shalokidarko, lo amra ella bestay lavan hasmucha le'ir. That's talking about a grain field, a grain field that is close to the city. Ava bestay lavan hasmucha le'sadeha ilan, but I will say, what happens if you have a grain field that is next to an orchard? Then in that case, I also remember again, we've already established that moles and mice pose a much greater danger, much greater loss, danger is the wrong word, much greater loss to orchards. So therefore, if you have a grain field that's next to an orchard, you could even trap the moles and the mice in what? In a normal fashion, right? And again, because the logic is if you don't get them in the grain field and the grain field is right next to the orchard, what's going to happen? They're going to make their way into the orchard. So the says, Shema Yetz, Shema Yatsu, Shema Yetzu, Halavan, Sailanos. Because maybe ultimately, again, they'll go ahead and they'll leave the grain field and destroy the orchard. Destroy the orchard. Good. So we'll say, it's good. So, um... Good, fine. So the says as follows. Umakrinas appears to Bamoid. Suppose it's the next case. Next case. So now what we've established is you're permitted to go ahead and trap animals that are going to cause. Suppose it's all the same halacha, which is the activities that you're allowed to do on Chalamaid in order to go ahead and stave off a hefsid maruba. So up until now, what we've been focusing on is watering. As we've been focusing on, now the is talking about staving off a different kind of loss, which is rodents. Rodents or animals that are going to destroy your field. What essentially comes out is if it's a significant loss, if it's a significant loss, ultimately you could trap in a normal fashion. If it's not as significant loss, you have to use a shinui, with one exception. If it's going to cause an insignificant loss now, but the insignificant loss has the potential to cause a significant loss in the field, in the adjacent field, then you could trap in the normal fashion. Beautiful. So the next part of the Mishnah, so the Mishnah, if you have a fence that's been breached, right? A fence that's been breached, so you can go ahead and repair the breach on Chalamaid. So it says in our Kates and Makrin, just by the way, how do you repair a breach? Rav Yosef, Vidafna. You could essentially go ahead and repair it with branches. So when the Gemara says, when the Mishnah says that you could repair a breach on Chalamaid, Rav Yosef essentially explains that halacha which literally means again branches, right? Palm branches, palm branches. So the idea over here is that you could take branches and essentially make a temporary, a temporary. Um, what's the word? Temporary repair, right? So you can't start with stones and plaster and things like that, but you could put up branches to repair the breach. satana. So the Mishnah we learned as well. Or you could pile stones. You can pile stones, but you can't cement the stones in place. In other words, on Chalamite, what I could do is I could essentially repair the breach in a temporary fashion. So you could use branches or you could use unplastered stones. They don't talk about it. When we speak about putting back a temporary repair, that's only with the wall that leads to your garden. But if we're talking about the wall which leads into your courtyard, then what? You're permitted to go ahead if there's a breach, you're permitted to rebuild it in the normal fashion. 
Why the distinction? Look at Rashi. So Rashi says, So I say, people come into my garden are not really going to suffer a loss. So say, the wall to my chatzar is the wall to what? Is the wall to what? The wall to my home. That's my domicile. So the Gemara says, when we speak about the idea, when the Mishnah says that if the wall was breached, you could go ahead and fix it, but it's got to be a temporary fix. That's the wall to your garden. That's the wall to your garden. Because ultimately, we're not so concerned about a loss over there. But the wall to your chatzar, the wall to your domicile, right? Not directly into your home, but this is the courtyard that is right by your home. That represents a security risk. And therefore, halacha lamaisa, if that's breached on chalamaid, you're permitted to repair it normally on chalamaid, which means stones, cement, bricks, whatever it is that you're normally repairing it with. Leibim Maseyah, I suppose you have a bracelet that supports this. Kosel, listen to this interesting case. Kosel ha gochel sarabim. if you have a wall that is kind of bent, gochel means, Rashi says over here, shochav enatoy, it's, it's, it's leaning. You have a leaning wall, and the wall is leaning into the public domain. What's talacha? So ser ubona kedarko mipneha sakana. You can go ahead about saying what? You can go ahead and, first of all, demolish it, right? You could demolish it, and you could rebuild it. Now, both say, this is a more obvious case. Why are you permitted to do this? Why? Because this poses a danger. So what do you see here, Abosai? That any time you have a danger, any time there's a potential danger, that gives you the license to go ahead and rebuild the wall. So the Gemara is quoting this. The Gemara is quoting this ultimately as a statement, as a support to Rav Chista. Because Rav Chista said, when do, when do we say that you could only go ahead and make a temporary fix? That's with the, that's with the wall to your gina, to your garden. But the wall to your chatzar, you can make even a permanent normal fix because that represents a security issue. The Gemara then goes ahead and quotes this b'raisa, quotes this Mishnah, excuse me, that says that if you have a wall leaning into the Rosh Zorabim, you could demolish the wall and you could rebuild it because it poses a risk. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 that's not a fair example. Hasam kidiktani time of me'asakana. Well, say, it may not be a good comparison. In other words, when you're dealing with a wall, First of all, that's actively leaning. See, I will say, a wall that's actively leaning represents a clear and present danger, right? That, that the idea is, that, that, that's a collapse danger that poses a public, public safety issue. The case of Rav Chistah, says, where the wall of my chatzah was breached, it's a potential issue. Maybe it'll be an issue, maybe it won't be an issue. To which the Gemara says, the Ikida Amir, an alternate version of this, Tashma, if you have a wall that is leaning into the public domain, you're permitted to demolish the wall and rebuild the wall. Why? Because it poses a danger. Now the reason you're permitted to go ahead and what? And demolish it and rebuild it is because it poses a sakana, right? If there was no sakana, if you just had a leaning wall that was leaning into the middle of nowhere, or for that matter, again, it sounds like even a breached wall which doesn't pose a sakana, perhaps you should be able to repair it. This would seem to refute the position of Rav Chista. Because we'll say, remember, let's go back for a second. Rav Chista said that you're permitted to repair a wall even when, even when, when there's the potential of what? Of loss. Right, of loss. Rashi says over here, remember again, Rav Chista said, Pseide Yisera. Rav Chista, remember, Rav Chista wanted to make the, let's go back for just one moment. Rav Chista's position is, that if the wall of my gina, the wall of my garden, or the wall of my field is breached, what am I permitted to do on Chalamite? What can I do? What, what can I do? Temporary fix, right, branches. What happens if the wall of my hut is breached, according to Rav Chista? Regular fix, regular fix. To which the Gemara says, interestingly enough, this case seems to contradict Rav Chista. Because in this case, when are you permitted to fix a wall? When you have a wall that poses a sakana. Rav Chista said you could go ahead and fix a wall in your chatzar even when it poses the potential of loss. But say loss and sakana are two different things. So maybe only time you're permitted to fix a wall is where there's the potential of sakana. But if there's just the potential of loss, you can't fix it. Maybe you could do your temporary fix, right? Your branches, but you certainly can't do a regular fix. This would seem to, this would seem to, this would seem to undermine Rav Chista. Rav Chista says, no, 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 it doesn't at all undermine me. I'll tell you why. Hasam soser ubona. say in the Bryce's case of the wall leaning into the Shtarabim, there's two things you're allowed to do when there's Sakana. What are the two things? Number one, demolish. 
Number two, rebuild. In Sakoni, you could demolish and rebuild. Hacha, in my case, where there's no Sakana, there's just the potential of loss. Bona Velososer. I agree. You wouldn't be able to demolish a wall for that. And as well say, imagine the following situation. Let's say, I have a breach in the wall to my chaser. The contractor comes out and he says to me, you know what? As contractors often say, it's easier just to rebuild the whole thing. Right? Just take the whole thing down. Just take the whole thing down. Just rebuild the whole thing. So I'll say, imagine the contractor said that to me. Rav Chista would say, I would agree you can't do that. You can't do that. In other words, the only thing you can do on Chalamaid is just to go ahead and rebuild the breach. And if it's in your chatz, you can rebuild it in the normal way. The only time you're permitted to totally demolish something and rebuild it would be when? In a situation of Sakana. To which the Gemara says, Hasam Nami, Listar Velo Livni. Im came, so we'll say, I'm sorry, Hasam Nami, Listar Velo Livni. If that's the case, I will say, so why don't we say that in this situation, why not say in the situation where halacha the wall is leaning into the sarabim, what should we do? Demolish it and don't rebuild it. And don't rebuild it. To which the Gemara says, imkain mimna velososer. She will say, just to understand, the case that we're talking about over here is whose wall is this? Who's, who's, whose wall? Right? Who is the owner of the leaning wall? It's some guy, right? It's an individual. It's Ruvain. It's Ruvain, right? Ruvain owns the wall. So Rechista says like this, if we just tell Ruvain that he has to demolish it, but we don't let him rebuild it, then what's going to happen? He's not going to demolish it. Because at the end of the day, this wall probably serves some purpose, otherwise he wouldn't have it. So I will say human nature is, and this is also such an incredible usode, if you make doing the right thing easy, most people will do it. If you make doing the right thing too difficult, most people will not do it. Even good people will not do it. That's just human nature. Sa'ai Ruvain, your wall is leaning into Rosh Sarabim, and there is a danger of collapse, and it can impose a danger to the Rabbim. So if you tell Ruvain, take down your wall, but you can't rebuild it, so now maybe some part of his property is exposed, he's probably not going to do it. But if you tell him, listen, take it down, and we also give you the license to rebuild it, then Einachinami, under those circumstances, he will do the right thing. But I'll say, brother, you, you see this motif many times in halacha, most notably the concept of Gzeres Hashavin, which I will say is the Gzeres that says that when a person steals something, we don't make them return the item that they've stolen, right? If it's too inconvenient, we let them go ahead and what? We let them go ahead and re- return the value without returning the item. I also remember the paradigmatic example of this was, right? Ruvain stole a beam from Shimon, went ahead and built the beam into his house. And he has, right, the style of architecture. What do they call it? Um, exposed beams? Is that the name of the style, right? So you see the beam right there. It's sitting right there. It even has Ruvain's initials carved into it when Ruvain owned it, right? So you say, Shimon, listen, you want to be a Balchuvah? You got to take the beam back and give it back to Ruvain. But let's say, if that's what it takes for Shimon to be a Balchuvah, then what? Then what? Shimon's never going to go on Balchuvah. So Chazal say, it's in society's best interest for people to do the right thing. So let's make it easy. Same thing over here. Ideally, I will say, what should happen over here is if Ruvain has a leaning wall, we should tell him, take it down. Right? Take it down and rebuild it when? After Chalamayim. But later on, what do you, have, you don't need to rebuild it now. I rebuild it, but again, Ruben, then Ruben is not going to take it down. So therefore, Chista says, Halacha Lamaisa, the Mishnah's case, is a case of allowing you to demolish and then rebuild. I'm only talking about a case of just rebuilding, right? Where I, I have a wall of my chatzar, part of the wall fell down. So Rav Chista says like this, if it's the wall to my garden, you just could use a temporary fix. But if it's the wall to my chatzar, where there's a real potential for real loss, then in that case, I'm permitted to go ahead and make a permanent fix, even on Cholamayit. Amr Bashi, Masnisi Namideka, Diktani, Ubeshvias Bone Kedarko. During Shemitah, you're allowed to go ahead and rebuild the wall in the normal fashion. So the Gemara says, Deheicha, what case are we talking about? If you're talking about the wall of the Chatzar, Tzri Cholamaymar, both say, why did the, why would the Mishnah need to tell me? Why would the Bryson need to tell me that Halach Cholamaysa? Why would the Mishnah need to tell me that Halach Cholamaysa? I can rebuild the wall to my chatzar during Shemitah. Of course I can build a rebuild wall to my chatzar. I also say, well, what, what does my chatzar have to do with Shemitah? El alav digina. Rather, what it must mean is, during Shemitah, if the wall to my garden collapses, I can rebuild that wall. The afagav demechze keman da'avin etirusilaperi. And even though I both say, what's the problem? When you erect a wall around a field during Shemitah, I both say, what does that look like? What does it look like? It looks like you're going ahead and 
guarding the fruit and preventing other people from coming in. Even though, again, now that's not my intention. My intention is, I just want to rebuild my wall. Shmamina, therefore, learn after me that it's permitted. So, the Rabbi say, what comes out from this sugi is as follows. Halacha lamaisa, supposedly we essentially have three different halachas. During Shemitah, during Shemitah, I can rebuild the wall of my chatzar no problem. Right? That goes without saying because the wall of my chatzar has nothing to do with Shemitah. What's the novelty in Shemitah? The novelty in Shemitah is that when the wall around my field crumbles, right, or, or gets breached, I can repair the breach. What's the chiddush in that? You might have thought you can't repair the breach in the wall around your field. Why? Because it looks like you're keeping people out, and that's the antithesis of Shemitah. Kamash no, I'm not keeping people out. I'm providing some level of safety and security for my field, and that's permitted. That's Shemitah. What about Chalamayit? So I'll say Chalamayit, if your wall breaches, what can you do on Chalamayit? And the answer is, the answer is, we pass like Rav Chista, and it depends. What does it depend on? Which wall we're talking about. If it's the wall of my gina, if it's the wall of my field, then what am I permitted to do on Chalamayit? Temporary fix, right? Branches, just plug it up. After Chalamayit, you'll fix it in normal fashion. But if it is the wall of my chatzar, we paskin like Rav Chista, and the, a breach in the wall of my chatzar represents a real potential loss. This is the breach in the wall to my domicile. Salah Chalamaysa, you're permitted to repair that in a normal fashion, even on Chalamayit. Bosei, that is how the Rabban paskins. Incredible. Says the Mishnah, Remeir Omer, Bosei, very interesting sugya. Remeir Omer, Ro'anes Hanagolim Bitchil Lahak, Yavalolahachmir. Shabbos, now we come to the interesting case over here. Now, Tsaras. So remember again, the, the, in order to go ahead and become a Mitzora, you must go to the Kohen, and the Kohen must pronounce you a Mitzora. Right? So that's the way it works. In other words, even if, you, even if you're well-versed in Allahus of Tsaras, and you see, you see a discoloration on your flesh, it doesn't work. You can't declare yourself as right. There's no home tests. For it's uh, right, for it's saras, right? Rather, you have to go ahead and you have to go to the coin. The coin has to look at you, and the coin has to pass it. So now, we're going to the interesting discussion about do, do, does the coin paskin on saras on chalamayir or not? So Rameir says, "Ro es hanegoim lahakel avalola hachmer." So we'll say this is fascinating. So Rameir says you can go to the coin on chalamayir. But he only will paskin leniently and not stringently. Now, now what is this? And you look at Rashi. So the coin will go ahead and look at Saras to declare it tahar about Lola Hachmi, Rashi says. Shimroa coin shutame eno omer klum. Shemitamo nimtsa mitsara bamoid vrahmana omar visamachta bechagecha. So, we'll say, this is so beautiful. So, the Rabbi Mary says like this. So, if you go to the coin and the coin sees that it's tar, he could tell you tar. But if he sees that it's tame, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. Why can't he say anything? Because we'll say, if the coin declares it tame, that is going to stare, that is going to undermine your enjoyment of the yamtiv, and there is a biblical obligation of visamachta bechagecha. So, what does the coin say if he sees that you're tame? What does he say? Nothing. They're both saying, you'll say to yourself, but come on. I don't understand. If, if it's tar, he would say tar. If he says nothing, isn't that by definition what? A de facto declaration of Tumah to which you see, no, there's something fascinating. That Allah you're actually not tummy until when? Until the coin makes the active declaration of Tumah. So in other words, they both say, the absence of a tahar declaration does not automatically make you tamer. We'll say it's an incredible, incredible yisod. That according to Rabbi Meir, the way tzara'as works is there must be an active amira. Without an active declaration, you have an undefined status. So you can actively declare you tar or actively declare, declare you tame. Say if you show up on Chalamai, if he actively declares you tar, you're tar. But if he sees that you're tame, he'll simply say nothing. And the absence of an active declaration, by definition, allows the person to remain. Now, again, it remains, they're in a limbo status, right? Now, right now, again, I'm, I'm nothing. So I'm just, I'm the same as I was before I came to the coin, which is there's something going on with me. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. Well, so I'll just point out something amazing. What, what an incredible Musra Haskell, by the way, that sometimes in life, saying nothing doesn't automatically create 
Ariyat, Yavaz, we've spoken about this many times, especially in the realm of relationships. So sometimes we think that people know how we feel about them without expressing it. Right? I don't have to tell my wife I love her. She knows that I love her. That's obvious, right? And it's even clear from my behaviors. See what I say from Rabbi Meir, that realities are only created when you say things. Right? When you just simply allow people, when you assume that people understand how you feel about them without ever communicating it, you have not created a reality. Realities are only created when you say tame, when you say tar. Only if you say it is the reality created. Because that's Rabbi Meir. So the Chachamim say, Omrim lo lahakir lo lahachmir. Now both say, the, the Chachamim say, now we'll have to see in the Gemara exactly what the Chachamim are saying, but they say, no, essentially, don't show up to the Kohen at all. Lo lahakil for lo lahachmir. The Kohen doesn't paskin ansaras at all over the course of young days. So again, I will say, and this is very shy, this is a very Lebaisa case, person has some type of discoloration, he's not sure exactly what it is. According to Rabbi Meir, go to the Kohen, go to the Kohen. Kohen's either going to tell you one thing, he's either going to tell you what, either, either, tahar or nothing. Chachamim say, no, don't go to the Kohen, go after Yamtiv. Go after Yamtiv, says the Gemara, says the Gemara, but say also, by the way, it's so profound. You know what else the Chamar teaching us? It sounds like the Chamar teaching us. As well as saying, just, just hear this out till the end. Sometimes it's okay not to deal with your problems. In other words, I was saying, what do I mean by that? Is that sometimes a person has a particular issue, and I know I have to deal with it, but I can't deal with it now. I can't deal with it now. That's very different than ignoring your problems, right? Ignoring my problems means... I know I have a problem, but then no, no, I'm going to forget about it and I'll pretend like it doesn't exist. That's wrong. That's wrong. But sometimes acknowledging that there is a challenge in life, but I can't deal with it right now, right? The the issue is there, but now is not the right time to handle it. Sometimes that's an okay strategy. Sometimes. Sometimes sometimes it's the wrong strategy, but sometimes saying, I know it's here, but I can't deal with it now is an okay approach. Incredible. So it says the Gemara, Tanya, Rabbi Meir, Omer, Rohanis, Hanigayim, Lahakev, Alola, Hachmir. So I say, Rabbi Meir, the Mishnah said, that's what? You could look at Nigayim. And you have an option, right? What's, what's your option? Go to the Kohen. The Kohen could tell you Tar, but he's not going to tell you Tame. Right? So I say, in other words, just, just you understand how this plays out. So I show up to the Kohen, right? The Kohen looks at it, and what does the Kohen say? What does the Kohen, if he sees it from, what does he say? Yeah, I'll see you later. I'll see you there. Let's, let, you know, let's, let's grab a cup of coffee after Yantiv together, right? Let's, uh, let's, let's connect then, right? So, and that's all. And that's all. Now, of course, you want to say, now, now, by the way, what I just want to point out, also, just so you should know, is that autom- when I leave the Kohen, right, does that automatically mean that I'm Tomei? Now, remember, again, I'm not coming back to him after Yantiv, which means a whole bunch of stuff could occur with this particular lesion, right? So it, it really doesn't mean anything at that point in time, except the Kohen's telling me, I'm not going to share your simchas yomtiv, so come back later on. Come back later on. So that's Rabbi Meir. The Rabbi Yossi on Rabbi Yossi says, lo lahakia v'lo lahachmir. Rabbi Yossi says, no, no, no. Don't show up to the coin at all. Why? Shim'ata niskak lo lahakel, niskak lo aflachmir. So both say, this is incredible. There's a fundamental machloke. See, Rabbi, Rabbi Meir is saying that a coin has the license to say tahar, but not to say tame. Rabbi Yossi says, no. Once, Cohen, once someone shows up in front of you, then what? Then what? You got to decide. There's, there's, there's no such thing as saying, oh, either you're tar or come back and see me after Yom Tiv. There needs to be a ruling. Now, we'll say, now sometimes, I want to be clear, we're going to discuss this. Sometimes the ruling is the Cohen is not sure about the nega. That, that, that's fine. That's fine. But if, there's, but if there is a definitive or decisive ruling, that has to be delivered. Say Rabbi Yossi says, the coin doesn't have the license to say, come back later, right? If he knows that it's a Tamei Nega. Because if you force him to rule the Kula, he's also forced to go ahead and rule the Chumar. Rashi says, So we'll say, so this is a fundamental machlokis. 
fundamental machlokas. So says the Gemara, Amr Rabbi, Rabbi says, this is very interesting, Niran Divir Rabbi Meir bin Muskar, Divir Rabbi Yossi bin Mochlat. So we'll say, so just to define our terms here for just a moment. There's what's called the Mitzorah Muskar, Mitzorah Mochlat. Mitzorah Muskar is a person who shows up to the Kohen, and the Kohen is not sure about his nega. So we'll say, just to give you the, just a simple case in this. The paradigmatic case of Tzaras is where I have a discoloration on my skin, and the hairs inside of the skin also turns white. Everything turns white. What if you have the following situation? There's a blemish that's white, but the hairs inside of the blemish have not turned white. So we'll say in a situation like that, what we do is we quarantine the person. Quarantine him. That's called a Mitzorah Muskar, a quarantined Mitzorah. What's the status of a quarantined Mitzorah? Nothing yet. He's quarantined. We're not sure. We're not sure what his. We're not sure what his status is. We're just not sure what his status is. That's called mitzora muskar. He's quarantined. Versus a mitzora muchlat is a definitive mitzora. Someone who is absolutely a mitzora. So Rabbi says like this. I I see the position of Rabbi Meir in the case of a mitzora muskar. Case of mitzora muskar, and Rabbi Yossi in the case of a mitzora muchlat. Why Rabbi say? Let's let's play this out. So Rabbi's going to say, listen. If a Mitzorah Muskar, quarantine Mitzorah, comes to the, comes to the Kohen, so one of two things happens, right? Either number one, either number one, the Kohen says you're tar. If he says you're tar, great. What happens? What happens if you're tar? You had a quarantine. What happens if he says simulator? We'll say, what happens then? What happens then? You just go back to quarantine. In other words, you're back in the same state. You're, you're, no, you're no worse off. You're no worse off for coming to see the Kohen. Versus in the case of a Mitzorah Muchlat, in the case of a Mitzorah Muchlat, Ultimately, again, Rabbi says, I think in that case, ultimately, we should pass in like Rabbi Yossi, because I will say, essentially, in that case, once the guy's already a Mitzorah Muchlat, there's only, there's only one way, there's only one way, which is up, right? He's already a confirmed Mitzorah, so there's only one way forward. I'm a Rabbi, Betar, so we'll say, Rabbi defines a little bit more. Betar kuli amalopligi, I'm sorry, Betar kuli amalopligi delo chazule. So we'll say, listen to this. There are essentially three cases. Case number one, is a guy who's Tahar, which I will say means what? Means what? Ruvain, Ruvain was fine, minding his own business. He suddenly discovers he's got a discoloration on his arm, right? See, now he wants to come to the coin. So Rav says, everyone agrees that if you're Tahar, and now you suddenly have this discoloration for the first time, don't come on Yantif. Come after Yantif. Right, Aloha tells you, don't deal with your problem now, deal with it after Yamtav. Kuli Amalo Plegidilo Chazule. Beheskarishon, Bose, if you're talking about a guy who was quarantined the first time, because remember, Bose, there are up to two quarantines per individual, right? In other words, that Halacha Lamaisa, if you present with the symptoms and we're not sure exactly what you are, we'll quarantine you a first time. If the nega doesn't change at all, we'll quarantine you a second time. If after the second quarantine, the nega does not change, you're tar. We leave you alone. We leave you alone. Let's say, see, isn't that incredible? Even Chazal understood. You can't be quarantined more than two times, right? More, more, more than two times is ridiculous. Right? So, so there, there, there's a cap. There's a cap. It's how, how long you could go on like this. So the Gemara says as follows. So now listen to this. Sifir quarantine the first time. Everyone will agree that the coin will examine you on Chalamaid. So look at Rashi. Because let's figure this out. If you're in your first quarantine, if the coin goes ahead and is metari you, that adds to your simchas yamtiv. Lo if he doesn't declare you tame, lo You're no worse off than you were in the beginning. In other words, your quarantine continues. So therefore, I'll say, keep ligi, keep ligi. Where does the machlokis come up? Amun beis. Behez gersheni. I'll say, the machlokis comes up with a person that was quarantined the second time. So I'll say, so just to illustrate where this case comes up, right? Reuven has a discoloration on his arm. It's a simple case. The discoloration is white. The hairs are not. He comes to the coin. What happens to a person like this? Quarantine. Because what are we looking for? We're looking to see if the hairs turn white. If the hairs turn white, this guy is a mitzora. End of quarantine number one. Hair still haven't turned white. What do we do? We quarantine him a second time. So one of two things happen by the end of quarantine number two. If the hairs turn white, now he's a Matsoda, right? If the hairs don't turn white, we just we attribute this discoloration to something other than Saras, and he is free to go about his life. So therefore, I both say, the Gemara says like this. If he's Tahar, meaning he just developed the symptoms, right? So everyone agrees, don't come to the coin in Chalamay. 
you, we know you have a problem. Sometimes it's okay not to deal with the problem right now. Come back after Yamtiv. If he's in the midst of the first quarantine, everyone agrees, go to the coin. Why? Because there's only an upside, right? If the coin declares you tar, you're out, right? That, that intensifies your simchas yamtiv. And if he says you're, in, you're still in quarantine, you're no worse off than you were before. Where does the machlokis come up? With a guy who's in his second quarantine. Watch this. Marsa, Rebbe Kohen Talia Milsa, Itar, Armeletar, Vitame Shasik. So one opinion says, go to the coin, go to the coin, because what's going to happen on both sides? Everything depends on the coin anyway. So if the coin sees, you're, now you're in your second quarantine. If the coin sees that you're tar, he'll tell you you're tar and incredible. And if he sees you're not tar, then what? He's not going to say anything. He's not going to say anything. He'll just come back after the and that's it. Umar savar letaro uletam oksid. So say this goes back to the original machlok, as we said before in the Gemara between Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Meir, which is, does a coin have a right not to pass kintame? So the first opinion will say yes. The coin has a right to tell you tahar, and then he has a right to say, if you're tame, you know what, come back, come back later on, or not to say anything. The second opinion says, no, the coin has no such license. The coin is obligated to paskin. And because he's obligated to paskin, he could turn a mitzora muskar, a quarantined mitzora, into a mitzora muchlot, into a definitive mitzora. And therefore, perhaps we're better off not seeing that mitzora over chalamayim at all. Shabbos say. Fundamental machlokes, fundamental machlokes between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi about whether or not a coin has the right to withhold a tummy declaration, which is really quite fascinating. Amar Mar, Amar Rabbi, Niran Div Rabbi Yossi b'Muchlat, Niran Meir b'Muskar. Shabbos say. So remember again. So Rabbi said before. I think I agree to the position of Rabbi Yossi by a mitzora muchlat, a definitive mitzora, and the words of Rabbi Meir by a mitzora muskar. But we said just the opposite before. Tanoihi, it's really a machlokes tanoim. Alibu de Rebbe, according to Rebbe, Shabbos said, this is fascinating. Tanoihi alibu de Rebbe. Mar savart safsad de alma adifle, u mar savart safsad de ishto adifle. Shabbos said, this is absolutely fascinating. See, Shabbos said, listen to what happens over here. You see, the fundamental machlokes, Shabbos said, is, do we want a guy turning from a muskar to a muchlot on chalamay. Right, so you hear this? A mitzora muskar is a quarantine mitzora. Mitzora muchlot is a definitive mitzora. So herein lies the machlokes. On chalamay, are we okay with a guy transitioning from a mitzora muskar to a mitzora muchlot? And I will say, what does it depend on? Listen to how fascinating this is. What is your thing, mitzora muskar and mitzora muchlot? So I will say, mitzora muskar, mitzora muskar, you're quarantined, but you're not exiled from the three camps of Klal Yisrael. But you're not allowed to live with your wife, right? Versus a Mitzvah Mukhlat, you are exiled from outside of the three camps, but you're permitted to be with your wife, right? So we'll say, see here the distinction over here? So again, when you're a Muskar, you're Besocha Machanet, right? You're living with Klal Yisrael, but you're separated from your wife. When you're a Mitzvah Mukhlat, you're exiled from the camp, but your wife could come with you. Your wife could come with you. Shabbos says, what's the machlokes? Get ready for this. The Gemara says, what's the machlokes? Mar savar tzavsa de ishto adifale. Sorry. Mar savar tzavsa de alma adifale. O mar savar tzavsa de ishto adifale. But you know what the machlokes is? Who would people rather be with? Who would a person rather be with? Right? Would he rather be with other people? Or would he rather be with his wife? Now, I both say, don't chime in on this. I would urge you strongly, right? right? Don't, don't proffer an opinion to your friend. But I will say, but it is a fundamental machlokes as to what creates greater simcha for a person. Being away from Klal Yisrael, but being with one's wife, because when you're a Masorah Muskar, you're outside of the three camps, you're outside of the three camps, but your wife could be with you. Or is it right? Is it, but it's, so as long as a person has his wife, he's good, he has simcha siyamtiv, or no, being outside of the three camps, even if my wife is with me, that takes away from my simcha because a person would prefer to be in the camp even if he can't be with his wife. So I will say, take a look at Rashi just a moment. Rashi says over here, Rashi says over here, So I will say, actually, you know what, let's just go a little bit right to first. So I say, so the way you're setting this up is that when a person is in Mitzora Muchlat, which means a, a bona fide mitzora, he's permitted to live with his wife, right? Relations are permitted. Is that true? 
And it is true. That Tanya we learned, the Yashav Michutzli, Ohalo Shivas Yamim, we learned, and Rabbi Zerah, this is in the purification process. In the purification process, he has to sit outside of his tent for seven days. So what does that teach me? So ultimately, during the seven days of his purification, Rabbi Zerah, remember again, there's all a bunch of different things. When a person is a Mitzorah Muskmuchlat, a, a confirmed Mitzorah, there is a period of Tumah and a period of Tara. What the Gemara is suggesting is like this, and it's fascinating. During his period of Tumah, he's permitted in relations. During his period of Tara, he's not permitted in his relations. The Pasuk says over here, He has to sit outside of his tent for seven days. Ultimately, during the purification process, Tashmishamita is Asr. The ain ohalo ain ishto, and I both say the tent refers to one's wife Shinemar, Lech and Marlohem, Shuvu Lachem Li Alechnos by Matan Torah. After Matan Torah, Khadish Prabhu tells Moshe to tell the people to go back to their tents. And the tent ultimately again is a reference to one's wife. So therefore I both say, Halakhalamaisa, Alakhmaisa, the Gemara is saying over here is something absolutely amazing. That a Mitsora Muchlat, right, a confirmed Mitsora is permitted with relations with his wife during the days of Tumah, but not during his days of Tara. Rabbi Huda Omer, Shivas Yamin, Yisapulo. So the Pasuk says that seven days he's supposed to observe his Tara process, Yemei Sefiro, Velo Yemei Chiluto, which means he's prohibited ultimately again in relations, the days that he's counting his Tara, but not the days of his confirmed Tzaras. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Zayin Yemei Sefiro, Kavachomer Li Yemei Chaluto. Rabbi Yossi Yehuda says, no, no, no. Of course, the same way that he's prohibited during the days of his purification, he's also, he's also prohibited in Tashmishamita during the days of the Tumah of his Tzaras. It's a fundamental machlokas. It's a fundamental machlokas. Is a Mitzorah Muchlot permitted in Tashmishamita during the days of his Tumah? I, I, I brought this up in front of Rabbi. Rabbi, you taught us Yosam Yosem was one of the kings of Yehuda, right? He, 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 together, he conceived his son with his wife. So his son was Uzio. And it was when you do the math, Yosem was a Mitzorah for a large part of his reign. It must have been that Uzio was conceived when Yosem was a Mitzorah. Amrlot, which Rabbi said, Af ani kach amarti. I said the same thing. And therefore that's a proof that what? That halacha lamaisa, tashmi shamita is permitted ultimately with the mitzora who is in mitzora bochot. So we'll have to stop over here. We're stopping mitzugya. Will the Mirat Hashem get to the bottom of this and understand exactly the prohibitions and what is permitted for a mitzora muskar and a mitzora muchlat? And from that we'll see ultimately what a person with saras is permitted to do on chalamayit. We'll stop here.